This is Rock and Roll English. Real people, real English. Here's your host, Martin Johnston. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Rock and Roll English. Episode number 281, baby. Oh yeah. In today's episode, I speak to another podcaster and it's a kind of strange episode in some ways because Craig from Ingles Podcast, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, contacted me and we decided to record a podcast for both of our podcasts. So our conversation you can listen to here on Rock and Roll English and also Craig's podcast, Ingles Podcast, which there will be links to in the show notes. Now, we speak about storytelling again. And before you think, oh, not again, because admittedly, I have made quite a few podcasts about this recently. We look at it from a different angle. Some technical stuff about what makes a good story, what doesn't. We both share some funny stories. I share a story which I don't think I've ever shared on the podcast that involved me being naked with one of my male students. And we even talk about how to eat spaghetti in Italy. So it really is a fantastic episode. But before we start, remember my pronunciation and storytelling course is starting today. There are no places left, but I will be doing it again in probably about two months. So if you go to rockandrollenglish.com slash fluency, you can find all of the details there. But that's enough of me talking. I will speak to you very briefly at the end. But in the meantime, happy listening. Well, Martin, it's really, really good to talk to you. And we're going to look today at different ways of storytelling, because I think we're both interested in storytelling. But before we do that, can you clarify something for me? Can you clear something up? Sure. So recently I did a podcast about table manners and eating habits. And I know you mm -hmm. spent a lot of time living in Italy and Sicily, so you obviously know the culture. The question was, do Italians tend to eat spaghetti with just a fork? Because I've always used a, a spoon and a fork. And I did Google, before you say to me, Craig, you idiot, why haven't you Googled this? I have. And let me quote you an expert on Italy called Martina Landwerman. Doesn't, okay. sound, doesn't sound particularly <laughs> Italian, but let's go with it. Martina says, and I quote, absolutely not. Eating spaghetti with a spoon will at least be met with double takes from locals. And a double take is where you're very surprised and you look at things twice. What's even worse, says Martina, is cutting it with a knife. Etiquette dictates we only use the fork and the plate. Martin, please clarify this. I'm 100% with, is it Martina? You Martina. Said? We, we've even got similar names, actually. Um, so, yeah, I'm 100% with her on this because when I first went to Italy... I did actually cut spaghetti and then I realized very soon that I was I was going to get kicked out of the country <laughs> unless I changed my habits quickly. Um, and yeah, the spoon thing, the spoon thing, 
people will just look at you like you're a bit of an idiot. I I suppose it would be like an adult with a bike with stabilizers on still. So stabilizers (laughs) being when you're a child and you have those extra wheels to stop you falling off. Yeah, yeah. They would just look at you like, how has this person not learned how to eat spaghetti? What an idiot. That would be the spoon whilst the, the cutting would be like, let's call the police and get this person out of the country as soon as possible. Um, so, yeah, so now I obviously don't use a spoon or a knife, just the fork. And How do you curl the spaghetti around the fork then if you haven't got a spoon to lean it against? Well, so first of all, you need to get the spaghetti, move the other spaghetti away, create like an, almost a corner in the plate. And so instead of the spoon, you kind of use the bottom of the plate to um to do that so that that's the technique um and yeah sometimes actually when friends came to visit me and we would go out for dinner and they would be using a spoon or using a knife and i would think oh look at these idiots (laughs) (laughs) whilst i would i wouldn't and i would feel so proud i'd be like i am so good at eating spaghetti uh, so yeah 12 years in Italy that's the the best thing I learned I suppose was how to eat spaghetti well at least you came away with something so that's exactly. something you can take with you wherever <laughs> you go no thanks for clearing that up because I couldn't find that on Uncle Google so you've you've helped us a lot and I will make sure that our listeners know that and as yeah. you've heard it take take some time practice like like anything you know it practice is the key doesn't doesn't happen overnight but once you get there it's a wonderful thing believe me craig it's a wonderful thing it's a bit like storytelling in a way isn't it how's that for a transition let's move on to (laughs) storytelling which does need practice (laughs) (laughs) now you've recently had some very interesting episodes on your Mm -hmm. podcast um about storytelling was it episode 279 with david heathfield which was the most recent Correct. Yeah. So that was just a few days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth listening to that if you haven't already. And obviously my listeners may not have. So we'll give you details at the end of where you can find that. And also one I very much enjoyed was with Adrian Underhill speaking about pronunciation and storytelling. Mm -hmm. And um, do you remember the episode number for that? The number? I'm not so sure, to be honest. Fairly recent. I'm going to guess it. 276-ish. Something okay. like that. Um, yeah, I do kind of lose count of the numbers. So, yeah, I would, I would guess around that. Right. So in those two episodes, yeah, on Martin's podcast, you can really have a deep dive and learn lots of information about storytelling. And also on Inglés podcast, episode 137, how to tell a story in English looks more at the mechanics from a grammar standpoint and other features of English, how to put a story together in English. That might be useful. But today we're talking about why are some stories and anecdotes boring? What makes it difficult to tell stories in a second language? So for you, how can you improve your storytelling? And how can you be a good listener when you're listening to a story in English? So let's look at the first one, Martin. Why are some stories and anecdotes boring? Can you remember hearing people tell really boring stories and thinking, oh, God, what is this person going on about? 
Um, yes, I can. And I think the reason is just because it's, I think, the common question people ask themselves when you're listening to a story of just where is this actually going? Like, it needs to be funny or it needs to be emotional. It needs to inspire you. It needs to give you some kind of emotion. But if it's just, for example, you know, I, I went to the supermarket and then the cashier didn't have the correct change and then she had to ask someone and then I had to wait and then they gave me the correct change. Then, you know, that's not really giving me any kind of emotion. So I suppose that would be, in my opinion, to actually think about what you want the other person to feel and focus on that because otherwise it's just going nowhere. So what's the point in actually telling someone if there's, if there's, no emotion to the story it's just a waste of everyone's time exactly and I always think of my dad when I think about boring stories because (laughs) my dad used to give too much detail and he'd say you'd never guess what happened to me yesterday what happened dad well I woke up at eight o'clock which is unusual because usually I wake up at quarter past seven but yesterday I didn't set my and he goes off on a tangent he talks about something that's not connected to the story so of course you're going to get bored stick to the story and make sure you're hitting the important points of the story I I totally agree an example of that I remember specifically I even remember the exact pub I was in um, and looking at this person that was telling a story who you know when you go to the pub sometimes and you're with some friends and then the table kind of gets bigger some other people just join yeah um like friends of friends and this person was telling us a story and i remember he said um so two years ago at christmas was it two years ago i think it was three no you're right it was three because my first child hadn't been born there and i was thinking i could not give a monkeys about if it was two years ago or three years ago the story's boring enough anyway so this detail here when you're getting confused in your head and having a conversation with yourself is just totally irrelevant so please just hurry up and let's get this over with absolutely yeah i mean we've all met people like that and one thing that adrian Underhill said on your podcast was the importance of speaking slowly and pausing Mm. and I think that is such fantastic advice and I've been using that with my students online to help them with disfluences so that they're speaking slowly they're pausing because pausing can be so effective do you see what I did there? I did. That was that was nice. <laughs> it makes um, so much sense, but sometimes people just try to speak too quickly and all disfluences creep in and appear in their speech and yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree and that's something since I did that course with Adrian that I also have been trying to work on because so many times you just speak without actually thinking and a classic example maybe as well as teachers where I think the technical term for it is echoing of basically just saying what you're thinking so let's say I want to write something on the board and then the pen falls on the floor and I say oh the pen's on the floor let me just pick this up oh one second and all of this all of these words that are coming out are irrelevant it's like my friend let's call him that was telling me about 
whether it happened two years ago or three years ago. It's totally irrelevant. So I think one of the big things, though, is being comfortable with silence of just taking the pause. So, for example, in that moment, let's say you drop a pen. If you've got nothing actually to say at that point, just silence. It's I think it takes a lot of guts, a lot of courage to do that sometimes because people don't like silences so they just try to fill in the gaps with words which don't mean anything and it's just basically your mouth moving because there's no communication happening it's just words coming out with no meaning so yeah that's definitely something I'm trying to work on as well me too absolutely and I'll add to that because you've got a background with Italian speakers I've got a background Mm -hmm. with Spanish speakers even though we both teach people of different nationalities but do you agree that Italian speakers and I definitely think that Spanish speakers and most people from the Medit- the southern Mediterranean area don't feel comfortable with silence not as much as northern Europeans and Scandinavians they're much more comfortable not speaking whereas Spanish speakers especially in social situations they like to they can't they think silence is not comfortable and they feel the need to fill it with something is that your experience in Italy? Um, yeah, I would say so. But I th- I think it also depends on the person. If I think of my mother-in-law, for example, there's just literally never a quiet moment. But there are some people. But um, yeah, I suppose in general, maybe. <laughs> Does she listen more. to this podcast, Martin? <laughs> Luckily, no. Um, although she has just literally started an English course, but like level one stuff. So right. she might listen to this in a few years. Okay. By which time you'll um, you'll know how to sort of deflect any criticism. I'm exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to the second question that we want to, to discuss. Let's move on to the second question that we want to discuss. What makes it difficult to tell stories in a second language? Because I think it may be diff- more difficult for people learning English to tell stories than a native speaker. What do you think? Yeah, of course. Um, I think, obviously, vocabulary, number one. But one of the things I think, so from my personal experience of telling stories in Italian or telling stories in English, um, would be using like um, colloquial language, so which has more of an effect that maybe you don't know in the other language. So... For example, um, I don't know, if I was telling a story and I might use a word like, then we went back to his gaff. So gaff being slang for um, like house. Yeah. But that would have a kind of, that would be quite funny to do. Using these kind of words can be very funny and make the story more interesting or maybe using an expression um, I remember one of my friends um, at the end of a story once using the expression um, in for a penny, in for a pound. Um, so basically to say, if I'm doing this, you know, a little bit, I'm going to do it properly. But those kind of things, I think, really do add a lot to the story because something maybe which isn't so funny, if said using some of this language, that immediately makes it hilarious sometimes even just the word is hilarious but when I was speaking Italian I didn't 
often know these slang words. So I would just use the normal words. And so my story would have less impact. So so that's what I found. But how about you, Craig? Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. And another thing I took away from your interview with with Adrian was he mentioned having a performance piece, which kind of speaks to what you're saying, that if you're going to tell a story and you know it's a good story or it might be a joke, spend some time researching those kind of expressions to enhance it, to make it better and funnier and more entertaining to the listener. And you really only need a few. If you're in a social situation and you have like two or three jokes or two or three funny stories, you can pull them out pull them out of the hat I could say (laughs) and you've spent some time practicing them and I really like that idea not only for people learning English but for for me as well so I've started to do it I've started to think of stories that I could tell in certain situations how would I tell it I don't want to put any extra information in like we said before to make it boring I want to make sure the important points are there and they they get across well people understand them easily So working on something, as Adrian said, a performance piece, like you would a presentation or a wedding speech is really, really useful. Yeah, absolutely. To have them kind of in your locker. Um, And I did actually have a couple of them when I was in Sicily. And I actually added a few Sicilian terms, which, again, to me as a foreigner using Sicilian made the story so much funnier so if when i told people that they would they would erupt with laughter basically because it it sounded so strange for a foreigner to be using like sicilian so yeah understanding some of that language can can really add something to the story and another thing that i noticed because you said you've said on a previous podcast that you really practiced your wedding speech Mm so that you could deliver it as best that you can. And I remember I was best man years ago in the UK. I was co-best man. There were two of us. So mm-hmm. I, this I've guy... I've done that as well. Have yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy called Mark, who was co-best man with me at the wedding, we practiced our speech together because we delivered it together. So okay. we practiced it in private. And I said my piece, my bit... And Mark says, okay, that's good, Craig. Just say it again without these ers and the ums and the ers. And I said, what do you mean, Mark? I didn't, this, I didn't say that. Yes, yes, you did. And when I actually focused on how I was speaking, I noticed all these ers, ums, ers in the middle. And sometimes native speakers and obviously language learners who need more time to think of vocabulary and grammar before they speak, they don't realize they're making these noises. And that can be a bit annoying and make the story less effective absolutely and again i think it goes back to what we mentioned about silence being comfortable with silence because when you're not that's what you tend to do just throw in a um um <laughs> like i just did there actually you it, did, it you did that on thing. purpose though didn't you or did the, you? the first time i did I, I think i did it twice <laughs> We can we can check on the recording. The first time was on purpose, then the second time, no. But um, there we go. It is actually a normal thing to do. I think to eradicate it completely is difficult. But yes, certainly to um, be cautious of that. And especially if you're doing like 
rehearsed speech or something like that, then you definitely want to get rid of them. But in spontaneous speaking, yeah, I think it's um it <laughs> I'll keep noticing. <laughs> You're really when conscious I do it. of it now, aren't yeah. you? Um oh, Jesus. <laughs> I can't stop now. I've got the um disease. Hey, don't worry. We're podcasters. We can remove this when we edit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so in a like rehearsed speech, then it is definitely something to try to get rid of. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the last one was how can you be a good active listener? I don't know if you remember maybe when you were first becoming quite proficient in Italian when you were living there. How did you listen? Do you remember if you made any noises, if you had any little words that you learned to keep the engagement so that you so that the speaker felt that you were engaged in what they were saying? Any body language? Do you remember that far back? I think I just went for the nodding and saying, see, 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 uh, even at times when maybe I actually wasn't understanding what was happening just to yeah, try I to do, be polite. I do that I do that today as well still <laughs> uh, that's what I think my tactic was but I think though to be a good active listener the main thing which is something again which I need to work on and I, I try to but to actually listen to what the other person says instead of just thinking about what you're going to say next which is something I do a lot. And I especially notice this in the podcast, obviously, when I edit a podcast and the person I'm speaking to says something really interesting and listening back to it, I can I can understand that I didn't actually listen because I didn't almost acknowledge what they just said and then just went immediately to whatever I wanted to say. This is something I think everyone does, but if you want to be a good listener then to actually focus on what that person says and again going back to the silence thing taking a second sometimes to digest and then actually respond so that that's what I think to be a good active listener but what about you Craig? I'm taking my time before I respond here <laughs> But yeah, no, ab absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you, you interview people sometimes and they'll say something like, oh, I started my teaching business after my mum died. And you'd respond <laughs> thinking, oh, yeah, that must be fantastic. That must have been fantastic for you. And you just don't <laughs> listen and you don't respond correctly to what they've said. So, And there's a really good YouTube um, presentation. I can't remember who, who made it and said, you know, you can... People, you hear advice like make good eye contact while you're listening, lean forward to show interest, especially in a job interview, nod, move your head up and down and nod, say things like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, or repeat the last bit of the sentence. But really, as you said, the most important thing is to just listen, just listen exactly. and then respond to what you're hearing. Be very active listeners is probably the best advice you've you've hit the nail on the head that's exactly what i'd say i remember when my wife is spanish and when we first started going out together and we were traveling together she didn't speak very good english and she was a bit nervous about making conversation with other travelers and i said uncle is it's really easy all you've got to do when people are speaking to you is just say lovely lovely 
oh, lovely, with this kind of intonation. And we met these Australians who had been on a disastrous river trip. They'd had really bad weather. The boat capsized. They got covered in mud. It was terrible. And Anglis was going, lovely. Lovely. Oh, lovely. And they said, lovely? What do you mean lovely? It was terrible. So you have to be careful with your, you know, your responses like that. Yeah. My response at the moment, because in Italian, what they often do to say like, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. They say infatti, which means, well, the translation, I suppose, would be in fact. Mm-hmm. So like when someone's talking to emphasize you agree with them, they say infatti, infatti. So now when I'm speaking English for some reason, I just say, in fact, in fact, which doesn't actually make any sense in English. But that's something I find myself doing quite a lot. Have you stopped, which, have you stopped doing it yet? Because you've been outside of Italy for a while now, haven't you? I need to actually double check. I think it's like the um, you don't notice it until someone actually, until you actually start talking about it. But I noticed I definitely did it a lot when I was working in Sicily with my English colleagues. But I need to see, uh, hopefully, I've, well, I'm starting to get rid of it. But uh, we will have to see. But yeah, so if I say in fact, don't be alarmed. It just means I'm I'm listening and paying attention. Well, that's good. I will point it out to you, though, so that you can, right. you can okay. stop doing that. Yeah. Well, that was really interesting. Let's, let's maybe finish with a stories of our own. Uh, I've got one here connected to teaching. Or if you want to go first, Martin, have you got a story? No, absolutely for not. Us? I would love to hear your story. Okay, well, I'll go first then. But you will tell yours after, you promise. You won't, sure. You won't get out of it. <laughs> okay, so <No> way. <laughs> I used to work for the British Council in Valencia. In fact, I was made redundant last year and I'd been working for the British Council for 24 years since 1997. Oh, wow. Every Saturday morning during the academic year, I would be up at like 8 o'clock, 8.30. Imagine that, all those boring Friday nights to get up early on a Saturday for 24 years. The school opened at 9 o'clock and I started my classes at 9.30. So one particular Saturday, when I arrived at 9, there were police outside the school talking to the security guard because we had a security guard on the door all the time. And I thought, hello, what's going on here? What's happening? some kind of burglary or something. Uh, Now, we had eight classrooms in the school, and Saturday morning was one of the most popular times. They were all full on Saturday. What happened was, on the Friday night before, just before the school closed, a man had entered the school. He'd sneaked past the security guard. If you sneak past, then you manage to not be seen and very quietly go into the building secretly and he hid in one of the classrooms and he was still there Saturday morning and a colleague of mine found him sleeping on the floor in front of the whiteboard in the classroom these really dirty clothes smelling of alcohol and the funny thing was this teacher was a bit stuck up which means he was a bit of a snob imagine a very formal very strict upper class Cambridge or Oxford teacher. And to make matters worse, the guy had left a large poo in the corner 
of the class. <laughs> and of all the teachers, this was the guy, this was the teacher to find it. Uh, and I just felt really sorry for the poor guy who who was who may have been homeless. I don't know. He may have been living on the street. He had nowhere to sleep. But it was quite a story that many teachers are still talking about to this day. But so they managed to get him out then. So he was in there, in the classroom still. Yes. With his with his poo. With his poo sleeping in the corner. And he was escorted out by the police. I don't know if he was arrested, but he was taken out of the building and the poo remained in the classroom to greet the students at half past nine. And so surely someone (laughs) got rid of the poo before the lesson started. You can't do a lesson with a poo sitting in the corner of the classroom, surely. Well, I'd heard, I don't think the students would have noticed because most of them came straight from the class, from the disco or the club the night before. They were probably half asleep, but... I heard after my class that the poo had been removed by one of the unfortunate cleaners. But wow. the smell remained up until I can break imagine. time. Oh. <laughs> so that's my poo story. Over to you, mate. Right. Okay. Wow. Um, well, I didn't prepare anything before. I just thought oh, I will wait for you to tell a story and something will come to mind um and two stories have come to mind the first one isn't it's kind of one of those probably boring anecdotes that i mentioned earlier but it was a very strange experience that i want to share which i don't think i have ever shared on a podcast but so when i was living in rome i was teaching english at an important consulting firm and i only worked with the director's and partners of the firm that were all really, really serious people. And it would be a two-hour individual lesson. And it was so boring. But one of these people was crazy. I don't know how he had got to that position because he was absolutely crazy. And normally lessons with, with him involved going out for two hours in the city centre and he would normally take me to like a nice restaurant. Um, I did have to listen to him telling me about all of the conquests, let's say, that he had had in the week. So his lots of women, let's just say, that he would go into very specific detail um, with me about which wasn't really necessary but I was happy because I was eating in expensive restaurants so again I would just kind of nod up and down and say in fact in fact quite a lot and he was happy but then one day he said to me do you want to have a massage and I was like well what from you or uh, and he said no let's go and have a massage and then we'll have the lesson there we can just talk whilst we're having a massage and so I thought well you know why not so we went there um, and so yeah that that's kind of what we did and it was really embarrassing though because you had to get naked for the massage and was it, a, was was, it can I can I interrupt was it a real yeah. massage or a massage disguised as um, <laughs> no. something else it was legit okay so nothing illegal it was a relaxing massage um but 
so we were in the changing room and I was a bit like, oh, I don't know what to do here. Like with, you know, what's the deal of getting naked? Before I even had time to think, he was standing there butt naked. And I thought, right, okay, well, I suppose I'm going to have to do the same. Which, as I said, the other students were all really important partners and shareholders. And so was he. So it felt really strange to be standing there in a room naked with him. But then quickly put a towel round me. Um, and we had these two beds next to each other. <laughs> and like I said, it was a relaxing massage. It was quite good. Um, and he kept trying to talk to me. And essentially, I was supposed to be doing an English lesson at this point. <laughs> but what I actually did was fall asleep um, and then <laughs> felt him then come up to me. I mean, he obviously was pretty laid back so he wasn't particularly bothered um but so so that was the lesson that that we um that we had together and then had to go back again get naked again and then go back to work and then sit down for two hours with one of his colleagues that was the most boring person in the world and I was thinking an hour ago I was naked with with your mates <laughs> did you ever think of that person in the same light again or did that person sort of change in your estimation do you have a different opinion of him after that I, to be honest i think he went up in my estimations <laughs> because i just thought he's just such a, a quality a quality bloke as we say a great man because he was just so laid back he's just like naked yeah sure massage like he just had a great attitude to life um, which I thought was brilliant. Um, so, so yeah, that's my story. And another one, which just very quickly to share, um, I've meant I've mentioned this one on the podcast before about like classroom awkwardness, not as awkward as a poo, as a poo, I suppose. But um, when I did a lesson, it was about blind dates, and you know, so got to the end of the lesson. It was actually what is known in the industry as a jigsaw reading. So some people read yeah. one text, other people read another text, and then they talk about it. But the topic was a blind date. And then at the end, I said, so has anyone ever been on a blind date? And um, someone put his hand up and said, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, like, how was it? And then he just immediately said, brilliant. At the end of the night, we made sex. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Again, it's that you think, should I correct the error and say it's actually we had sex? But um, I just instead just went, OK, thanks a lot. Well, that's the end of the lesson. Homework page 53. See you all on Monday. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably very, probably very wise. <laughs> exactly. Nice yeah. one. Now, the first story you told reminded me of a student who I was teaching privately, and I won't say which country it was in, but he was <laughs> a member of the Air Force of that country, and he was a fighter pilot and admitted to me during the lesson that he actively smoked marijuana before taking his plane up on a on a practice wow. run. And I thought, <laughs> my God, the things you learn in English classes, who would have thought a fighter pilot's flying around stoned over this country and I won't say which one it was <laughs> just in case there's people living there yeah of course yeah wow that's that's quite something to 
tell your English teacher. But yeah. that yeah, that can happen sometimes when students confide things to you, and you kind of think, "Oh, wow, was not expecting that." Um, but that's all fun and games, part of being an English teacher, I suppose. Yeah. Hey, listen, before we go, Martin, can I quickly share a folk tale with you? Because I know that recently David Heathfield shared one, which I really liked yeah, on the Rock and Roll English. And I'd like to share one to see what you think. It's very short. Yeah. Okay. You may have heard it. It's quite popular. Okay. So it's about two wolves. Wolves. Okay. That's difficult for me to say. A wolf. <laughs> W-O-L-F, the, the plural is wolves with a V, that live inside us and they fight. And the folktale is a Native American Indian folktale mm -hmm. where the grandfather of a Cherokee Indian tribe is speaking to his grandson and he says to his grandson, I have a fight going on inside me. And the grandson says, what kind of fight, grandfather? And he says, well, there are these two wolves and one is really evil. He's angry. He's arrogant. He's full of greed, full of lies. He has a huge ego. He's envious and he's full of false pride and superiority. And then there's a good wolf who is very peaceful. He's full of hope and love and kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth and compassion. And this same fight is actually going on inside of all of us. And the grandson says, which wolf will, will win, grandfather? And the grandfather says, the one that you feed. Very nice. I like that. Very nice. Yeah, that's why I like these stories, because they often have that kind of message where, yeah, some a message like that, which can be delivered and some, not even just um, stories, but even when you use like metaphors. I actually heard one the other day. This obviously isn't a story, but just as soon as I heard it, I just thought, wow, that, that made such an impact on me mm -hmm. of um, when there are lots of problems in your life, you want to be like a rock in the sea. So you've got the sea where it's all rough and it's smashing against the rock, and but the rock is just still calm um and immediately when i heard that i just thought oh, that helped me so much and like hearing your story there it just has a message that you just think a, a message often that you know but it just helps you it just reinforces something like what we mentioned about also using pauses when you speak it's something we already know but when you hear that story or piece of advice it really just reinforces it and and helps you so yeah from listening to your story then exactly that now i think right let's feed the good wolf yes let's go and feed the good wolf because, exactly uh, yeah that's that would be a better world if everybody did that well it's exactly. been an absolute pleasure talking martin before you go because i would like this to come from you rather than me can you tell listeners of inglaire's podcast where they can find your podcast about your community and i know you've got a course you've you're going to release soon about fluency pronunciation and storytelling maybe tell them about that as well yes yeah, so the podcast if you just type in rock and roll english so that's rock and roll so not rock and roll rock and roll english into any podcast app then you will find it 
you can check out the website as well if you want rockandrollenglish.com as for social media i have instagram and facebook um and yeah there's a podcast community as well but you can find that on the website and for the course yeah that's something i'm starting very soon and it's called fluency via pronunciation and storytelling um because i really believe this is the way to help students so pronunciation is something many people many teachers avoid because it's actually quite difficult to teach and i myself did that for a long time because i think when we qualify as english teachers there's that course to do called the celta it's not really it's a big thing on the course so teachers just stay away from it there's lots of strange symbols but when i think you've mastered it it makes you feel so much more confident and with languages confidence is such an important thing so we look at pronunciation the different sounds and then sounds to words words to sentences and then obviously to fluency and storytelling because again for all of the reasons we've just mentioned of how maybe when you perform a story because in reality every time you speak it's a performance but when you rehearse a story you will learn more grammatical structures more vocabulary like we mentioned before of including some of this vocabulary for effect and the pride you get from the performance of telling a story for let's say 5 minutes again just has such a huge impact on your confidence so that's what i want students to do so yeah that's going to be starting soon so that's that's about me but as this is going on my podcast as well craig where can people find out more about you well to listen to our podcast you can go to the website englezpodcast.com or you can find us find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts including rock and roll english um so that's really where i'd send people to go to listen to us and it's been really really fun one final thing cuz you said about pronunciation i was thinking back to when i taught pronunciation i used to teach it fairly regularly because there was consistency among the students they would come every week or twice a week and i could really spend time with the symbols and with connected speech and these mm-hmm. pronunciation features but then the school changed its policy and we didn't always get the same students there was no consistency and i i avoided it as you just said i avoided teaching it because it didn't make any sense and in a course like yours i really think it's a good idea that people sign up for it because you'd have that consistency and martin will teach you those important things about pronunciation uh, and you can follow it from lesson to lesson and build on the knowledge so i think it's a fantastic idea Yeah thanks because like you said the consistency is the important thing because otherwise if you just start writing these symbols on the board that people don't understand then it's just a waste of everyone's time so yeah you really do need that consistent thing and to start from the basics like the sounds to make sure you're um pronouncing all of the sounds correctly and then to to build on that so yeah i totally agree yeah well thanks a lot for your time martin and thanks for listening everybody and before you go i've always wanted to say this keep on rocking baby <laughs> i've always wanted to say that fantastic fantastic yeah thanks a lot it's been a pleasure okay cheers mate thanks bye bye 
Okay, so that was Craig and me speaking about storytelling. And well done to Craig for being the first person ever to say keep on rocking. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Go to rockandrollenglish.com, click on podcast episodes and find this episode to find all of the links to Craig's stuff. I will see you all very soon, people. But in the meantime, just keep on rocking, baby. Thanks so much for listening to Rock and Roll English. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit rockandrollenglish.com and facebook.com slash rockandrollenglish. We'll catch you next time.